open my soda. I forgot to bring a beverage. Thank you, Titus. I appreciate your correction and your wisdom regarding such matters. I don't know where I'd be without you. And you're more and more like your mom every day. She's downstairs. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> she doesn't watch them. <laughs> Probably. She will this one. <laughs> All right. Let's pray for my swift recovery from uh, whatever happens as a result of what I just said and uh, for um, the message this morning. Uh, Spire heads. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with me as I, uh, as I unpack your word. I pray that you would help me to be faithful, help me to um, be correct, uh, help me to be uh, like Jesus in how I speak, wise. And, and Lord God, I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way. I know I, I, know I often say the wrong thing. I know I often... Um, um, head in the wrong direction or get overly distracted or what have you. And I, I pray for your grace on my life, um, on my words this morning. Um, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we are in Acts chapter 9. Um, and uh, what we're doing right now, we're actually, we just finished with Paul last week, right? Um, isn't he going to tell a story? I'll get to it. Um, we just finished with Paul last week, and we're going to be moving into uh, sort of the beginning of the evangelism of the Gentiles, um, which is an important kind of thing because Paul is kind of the apostle to the Gentiles. But we're going to start with Peter, uh, which is interesting, though Peter is not immediately evangelizing Gentiles until next week. Uh, so you gotta you got to hold on, you know, the edge of your seat because there will be a cliffhanger at the end. Um, and, and we'll get to that part before I get to it. Like, uh, the, the stuff we're going to look at today is, um, golly, it is, it's interesting because it's two stories happening at the same time and it's really easy to miss it in English and it's really easy to miss it. Um, um, if, if we're not looking for what's going on. Um, the book of Acts is, a, uh, is an account of the spread of the church, and I call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, though it's traditionally called the Acts of the, Apostle, the Apostles. And what's going on here is um, Jesus gave them a commission to spread the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and you know, on out to the rest of the world. And um, they're doing that like in an imitation of Jesus, right? I, uh, I have discovered something with, with the children um, they have a habit of saying the things that I say. Anybody? Um, for for better or for worse, uh, I will I will say something when I get mad, and then a week later I'll hear Josh say the same thing, and I'm like, ah, oh, do I sound like that? And and it has been a lesson for me and and a humbling experience to realize that that. Um, if my kids are going to imitate me, number one, I got to be somebody worth imitating, right? And uh, number two, that what I do is being watched and recorded to be used against me in the future. And not just on the Facebook live stream, also by the kids, although my son is reading a book right now. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm safe on that front. Um, and I don't see Abby, so I'm, I'm good on two. 
Uh, oh, Abby's right there. She is. Uh, before I dive into this, I'm currently reading a book right now. Like, I just started yesterday morning um, reading this book. I'm actually reading seven books right now. But this one book I started, I picked up at the bookstore. I went to go and get a book on uh, memory and how the brain works in memory. And I, they didn't have a copy of it. And so I went and I instead looked through the section and looked at related stuff. And I picked up a book um, on uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, this will be fun. This will be an interesting book to read because the, the guy who wrote it is like an expert on da Vinci. And he talks about how da Vinci thought about problems. And the book presents all of the different ways he approached problems. And like the idea is like this is a thing you can learn, this sort of approach to the world. And I thought that was fascinating. And I, I began thinking about this, and I read the first couple of chapters, and I realized something crazy about it, that although this guy understood certain things about who this da Vinci fellow was, right? Like he's an artist, and he invented, like, the airplane, I think, and, um, you know, sculpted all kinds of things and painted and was, I think, a world expert in, in botany, and things like that. I mean, he was an expert in almost every field you could come up with. He invented war machines. And, I mean, it was crazy the kinds of stuff this guy did. And, and I thought it was interesting, this broad thing. I thought, well, I should do this. And this guy, he talks about the importance of broad study and learning and everything else. But the more I read it, the more I began to recognize that the author, though he may understand the character, the person, had brought his own bias Right? Because he starts talking about da Vinci in ways that don't really make sense. And, like, starts talking about the Renaissance and how history happened in ways that are, like, really slanted. And so the more I looked at that, at, you know, and again, started reading it yesterday, and I was reviewing notes and doing research yesterday, and I, I realized that this is a thing that we can do. Okay? And this is a thing that we sometimes fall into as we approach Jesus, as we approach the life of like following Christ. And so as we dive into the text here, I, I want to emphasize what we're going to be looking at today is the idea of imitating Christ. Like how do we become like Jesus? But then a step beyond that, we're going to be looking at how do we become like Jesus and not like the weird caricature of Jesus that sometimes shows up. Are you all with me? Um, and so we're going we're gonna to dive into this, and hopefully I can do this well. Um, we'll see if I can keep all the plates spinning. And before we get to Acts, we're going to start in John. This is right up at the end of the time of uh, Jesus' ministry. We are sort of in the uh, uh, last days, and um, Jesus is offering comfort to his disciples who are aware that he is about to be arrested and executed. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, what the fa or that the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, here's where this gets tricky. All right? Um, we can read this and look at it and say, this means, it's like getting dad's credit card, right? Any of y'all, like when you were kids, your parents let you use the credit card once? 
No, you're right, Abby. And, <laughs> and you know why? Because when I went to college, my parents said, we are going to give you a credit card that is attached to our account. And you need to use this sparingly and carefully. And my father put it very interestingly. He said, losing this credit card is roughly on par with losing a mid-priced new car. Do not lose it. Do not use it wildly. Anybody want to guess how that went? I did occasionally misplace it, but I always found it, so it was never stolen, right? So I got that. However, there was sometimes phone calls that took place between my parents and I in which they said, Eric, we got the credit card bill. We'd like to discuss with you some of the essentials you purchased. And, and you know, like I, I was doing what any young dumb kid would do, right? I was spending money I didn't have to pay back, right? Unfortunately, most college kids do that, and they rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt because, you know, they'll give them a credit card for anything, and they can blow all kinds of money, and it's crazy. Um, I was protected from that by, by parents who were awesome um, or are awesome. Um, but in this case, um, Jesus is not saying that this is an unfettered credit card. Got it? Um, and it's easy to miss, and this is going to fit into what we're going to talk about today. Watch this. Um, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Will also do the works I do. That means that we, as his followers, imitate him. And the more we imitate him, the more our behavior, attitude, and thinking reflects him. Everybody with me? And as that happens, whatever you ask in my name, meaning it's all sort of in harmony with this, I'm going to be like you thing. This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what's the purpose of Jesus answering our prayers? Glorifying the Father. Which is why when I, like I did the prayer last night at the banquet, hopefully no one saw that, or you're too busy eating to catch it. Um, I did happen to pray that I would win the prize at the end of the evening, and I did not. And that's either because I have an enormous lack of faith, or it's an instance of something that probably wouldn't have glorified God as much as I wanted it to. Right? Because God answers prayer. He engages with us. He leads us and grows us in harmony with his will and glorifying God. That is his deal, not mine. And so we're going to jump into Acts 9. Oh, my goodness. I cannot believe I've taken this long to get here. But it probably started late because whoever did prayer went long. Um, so in Acts chapter 9, uh, this is where we ended last week. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So Paul leaves the scene and they go through a long period of peace where the church grows. And that's awesome. During this period of peace, now... As Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. This is an interesting little side note. The word saints is incredibly rare in the scriptures. 
It is. And it is just a weird thing that he uses saints right here. I think the general concept is this is all believers in the church in Lydia. And there's some sort of Paul tip of the hat there. I'm not sure. Um, but it was something I sort of spent a lot of time chewing on. I couldn't figure it out. So um, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, it was one of those instances where translation hides stuff. Watch this. Peter comes in. He sees this man, Aeneas, who is bedridden because he is, like, paralyzed. And what he says is, hey, rise, take up your mat, fold it, and get about regular life again. Sound familiar? Well, golly, it does. Because there are all kinds of little parallels in this story to Jesus' healing of a paralytic. Where he steps into the situation and says, hey, take up your mat and walk. And the guy takes up his mat and walk. And everybody gets mad at him because he uh, healed somebody in a way he wasn't supposed to or something like that. He was on the Sabbath for that particular one. But this particular miracle has a handful. Like even in the language used and everything else, like there are all these weird little parallels to Jesus' healing of, of, of lame men in different spots, including, like, just the command to be healed, right? He didn't touch him. He didn't, like, dump mud on him. He didn't spit on the ground or in the guy's eyes or anything like that. I mean, he just told him, hey, get up and go. And he got up and went. And he did it in the name of Jesus, right? This is probably what Jesus was talking about. You're going to do my thing, but you're going to do it bigger, and you're going to do it better, if you do it in my name, does that mean that I can walk into hospital wards and in the name of Jesus, heal people, you know, in the name of Jesus, take your glasses off. You can see everybody in the room and nobody reacts because nobody believes me um, because it might be the case that it's not something that fits God's will today because miracles aren't magic tricks. Miracles take place for specific purposes. Nobody took their glasses off. Not even kidding. They take place for specific purposes. And number one is like as a proof that somebody is from God. Um, in the scriptures, you see it as the first arrival when people don't know the, the gospel, don't know the Bible, don't know anything. And the person says, hey, get up and walk. And they get up and walk. And it's proof. It is like credentials. Also, it happens... Um, Sometimes because the Holy Spirit blows whichever way he wants and he does what he wants. Um, but it also happens to, like, make points. In this particular instance, Peter is going around. He's evangelizing the area. He's speaking to different churches. And he comes across a guy and he imitates a miracle that Christ performed. And what we're seeing here is Peter is stepping into Jesus' shoes. Does that mean he's Jesus on earth like the Pope? No, not saying that. Do not hear me saying that. I am saying that Peter is becoming more like Christ. The same way my children become more like me in certain behaviors and acts that they do, right? Hopefully more good than bad, but it is a reality. 
Um, hopefully, you know, in, in five years, we're going to turn around and we're going to say, man, Eric is just like Leonardo da Vinci. He's so well-studied and he sculpts and everything else. Probably not going to happen because, you know, yeah, I wouldn't look good in hose and uh, my hair is falling out. Um, but also because, like, I'm not him. And I'm not pursuing the same path. And because I'm becoming like Jesus, this is just a set of tools I'm looking at. But the point being, um, Peter grows to become more and more like Christ. And actually, when you get further and further out and you look at the evidence of Peter's life and how he lived and everything else, he becomes less Peter and more Jesus. And in fact, when you look at Peter's last letter, scholars kind of look at it and say, yeah, Peter didn't write that. And you know why they say it? Because they're like that absolutely like illiterate fisherman from nowhere, you know, West Virginia did not write this piece. It's too smart and too well done. Guess what? Peter changed. Right? Just the same as this Peter is the same Peter who sunk walking on water. Right? He's the same Peter who tried to convince Jesus, let me build a church here and you guys hang out up there in that transfiguration forever and we'll all be happy. And Jesus is like, what is wrong with you? Why don't you get it? (laughs) Or at the Last Supper where he's like, I'm going to wash your feet. And he's like, hey, bathe all of me, you know, if you have to. You know, what is wrong with you, Peter? Think, pay attention. Um, But Peter is growing and he is stepping into better and better roles and better and better positions because he is becoming. Christ. Now, the tricky part to this is that he's doing this in the name of Jesus, just like Jesus talked about in John, but he's doing Jesus' work. Does that mean that all of us, as we grow increasingly Christ-like, can heal people? I don't know. It kind of depends on what God wants, right? Does that mean that all of us, you know, can um, decide who Jesus is in the moment? And like, oh, well, you know, the Jesus that I really like is the baby Jesus in the manger. And so that's, you know, well, I'm going to be like, no, 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 right? Jesus is who he is. We don't get to remake him. And so part of the trick here is knowing him and becoming like him. Peter cheats a little bit because, like he actually knew him, <laughs> traveled around with him and talked to him. Um, so we jump into the next text, verse here. Um, now, so Peter heals this guy. Uh, now, there was in Joppa, by the way, crowds came, which is another thing that happened when Jesus healed people, but we'll, um, now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, um, which, by the way, which translated means gazelle. Um, she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died, and they had washed her and laid her in an upper room. So they did something kind of weird. They put her in an upper room. What the heck? It is not something that was a common practice. It was either the only room that was available, or there's some argument that this is like an acknowledgement that she would be resurrected eventually because she was like this disciple. She was a follower of Jesus. She was like this good person, full of acts of charity and good works. Everybody knew who she was. By the way, the fact that they are naming people means that these are things that happened in communities where everybody knew each other and the churches were close. And these are stories that probably circulated well into the history of the church. 
which is awesome. But Tabitha is this lady, Dorcas is this lady who is just kind of awesome. And she blesses the people around her. And she does stuff to serve the people around her. And everybody loves her. And she dies. By the way, as I'm talking, I'm guessing a handful of y'all can think of people like that. Right? You're like, oh, that's just like so-and-so who is such a huge blessing in my life. Who did this to make my life better. Who served me and my family in these ways. And that is incredible. Um, So they have her in the upper room and they're mourning her. Um, since Lydia, the town, not the lady, was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Um, Now, real quick, everybody is being called a disciple at this point. Did you catch that? These are not people who knew Jesus and follow him directly. These are not, like, at this point, apostles. These are people who are being discipled or trained in the Christ-likeness thing. And so these are folks who are, like, following Jesus and um, growing in faith and everything else. So just a quick aside there. Um, Hearing that Peter was there, they sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. It's about a three-hour walk, three to four hours, right? So they go, get him, bring him back. Um, So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived... They took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Okay, so you got all these widows standing around, and they're all weeping, right? Widows in first century Israel were like like the number one group that was disadvantaged in like poor and potentially homeless, like being a widow in the ancient world was a bad deal because women couldn't own property and they couldn't run businesses. And so it's not like, oh, well, my husband died. I guess I'll go start a flower shop. Didn't happen, right? If your husband died, you either went to live with your parents, went to live with your kids, or found another way to make a living and none of those options were good, right? They were things like become a slave, become a professional, Um, or something else. Like, these are people that are hugely disadvantaged, and actually there were whole systems set up to take care of them, and Dorcas is this lady who um, steps in and serves them. This is a big deal, especially in the early church, because they're out of the synagogues by this point, or will be soon. Um, The synagogues were the primary central location for all of this taking care of widows thing to happen. If you weren't a part of the synagogue, no one took care of you. And so the church took care of them, right? And Dorcas in particular did stuff for them, made them clothes and things like that. And so just like any funeral would be, everybody gathers around and they have stuff, right? You all have seen that at funerals. They have like, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is his favorite chair. These are pictures of him. This is him in high school. These are his, you know, this is his cowboy hat. I think is a really popular one, right? Like this is his this, that, you know, and they're showing, look what she did for us. Look at how wonderful she was. And they are mourning and weeping. By the way, I would argue that they do not expect much out of Peter at this point because they probably wouldn't be crying if they did. But Peter put them all outside. This is going to start sounding familiar in a second if you've read some of the Gospels. Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Now, You'll note, he says, arise. Previous thing, it says, you know, hey, Ateus, or um, I'm saying it wrong, but rise and get your mat. 
Same word is used, right? Peter or Luke is tipping his hand that these are connected stories. Why are they connected? Because Peter is straight up mimicking Christ in this. Um, so he knelt down. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then Peter goes and presents her. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, we're going to jump to Mark. By the way, a friend of mine pointed this out, which is awesome. I did not catch it. I figured there was a connection there, and I couldn't figure it out. Mark was one of Peter's guys, and his gospel is Peter's preaching notes. And so everything Peter said, Mark wrote down, right? So this is Peter's gospel. In Peter's gospel, we have an account in chapter 5. And when he entered, this is uh, the, the uh, son of a uh, widow. Um, when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside. Sound familiar? And took the child's father and mother to those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand... He said to her, and this is Aramaic, Talitha Kumi. What Peter said in Aramaic, right? Because Dorcas would have been her, like, Greek name. Peter used Tabitha, which would have been her Aramaic name, right? And in Aramaic, what he said was Tabitha Kumi. What Jesus said was Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Um, I'm going to say it again in case you missed it in the back. Peter said almost the exact same words Jesus said after putting everybody out and raising this person from the dead. Like he went out of his way to do it exactly the way Jesus did. What is... Luke telling us right now, he is telling us that Peter is becoming more and more like Christ and he is stepping into Christ's shoes as he expands the ministry beyond the immediate. And this text actually ends with a huge exclamation point related to that. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, oh, that's Peter. No, that's us. Right? Am I supposed to raise people from the dead? Not that I know of. We'll see what happens. I don't think that's what God's calling me to do. Am I to preach the gospel? Yes. Am I to seek out the lost? Yes. Am I to leave the 99 and rescue the one? Yes. Am I to love and serve the church to the point that I'm willing to pour out my blood? Yes. It's not likely to happen. I live in the place I live and when I live, right? But does that mean that I spend my time and my days and my efforts serving? Yes. Does that mean I make disciples? Yes. Does that mean the disciples are supposed to be like Jesus? We're to love Christ and desire to be like him. The same way my little Titus loves me and desires to be like me. The way he imitates the things I do. Right. I one of the funniest things I've done here as a pastor, I was laying on my couch um, reading and I had, a, you know, like a packet of papers in front of my face and I was highlighting. And my son, this is during the days that he came to work with me. 
he came, he laid on my chest, took the highlighter away, and wanted me to tell him where to highlight. Can you imagine a less interesting activity for a five-year-old? Like a less appropriate thing to be involved with for a five-year-old? You know why he wanted to do it? Was it because it was exciting? No. It's because he wanted to be like Dad. Peter is becoming like Christ. And even his imitation, it sounds weird, because I think Peter could have stepped into the situation and said, all right, get up, Tabitha, get up, Dorcas. You know, like, time to get out of bed and go. Like, and it would have happened. But he imitated Christ. And he imitates Christ by going out and doing the job. And you and I, this is us. This is what we're supposed to do. We look at the folks that drive us nuts, we're supposed to love them. We look at folks who are hungry, we feed them. We look at the tired, and we offer them rest. We look at, um, we look at whatever it is, and we say, like, what is Christ going to do right now? Um, but it's got to be Jesus, Right? Because there are times we approach this and we try to do it in a way that isn't Jesus. And we would say things like, well, actually, it's a very popular thing that, that is said. Like, uh, oh, Jesus was rich. That's a TV evangelist line. Jesus was a wealthy man. You know, like, oh, that he didn't have a home thing, you know, whatever. That's not true. He had a mansion. And Jesus had, like, lots of money and disciples and a Learjet and everything else. Like, of course he did. He was Jesus. And that's why... We TV evangelists have to also be rich because we're like Jesus. Hogwash. Right? That's a phrase, right? I didn't just make that up. Um, being like Jesus means being like the real Jesus. It means engaging people in a loving way. There are a lot of folks who are believers who want to walk up to folks who are like pagans, you know, like who don't know Christ, who are lost, who are dying in their sins, and they want to judge them. Where I want to announce, here's why you're stupid. Right? And there are times that Christ would do that. Hey, here's kind of why you're being stupid. But he almost always did it with his disciples, not the lost. But we sometimes want to do that. We want to make Jesus into, you know, the next candidate. We want to make Jesus into, you know, us. And the reality is that if we make God in our own image, we will never, ever accomplish things worth accomplishing. And he gave her his hand and raised her. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So now here is a cool thing is about to happen. Joppa should be relatively familiar because I mentioned it in a sermon like a month ago. You all remember that, right? (laughs) Anybody know who I was talking about at the time? Jonah. Because Jonah was directed by God, go and preach to these horrible people over here. And Jonah said, Absolutely not. He went to Joppa, he bought a ticket, and he took off in the other direction and was swallowed by a big fish, and then there was three days in the fish's gut after he was in the grave and everything else, and all those parallels to Jesus. Well, we have this moment where Peter is standing in the exact same spot 
as Jesus, or as Jonah, having imitated Christ up until this point, um, and he is about to get a calling, and that's next week. And that calling is to the Gentiles. And so we see Peter imitating Christ and imitating Christ and imitating Christ, and he reaches a point where it's time for the next thing to happen. And having reached this level of maturity, this level of growth, this level of like learning to walk in his footsteps and ask in his name, and then the big stuff happens. There are all kinds of folks who will back up and say, I feel like God doesn't ever use me for anything and there are never any opportunities. And sometimes that's just because we're not Jesus. We don't really want to be. Love how this ends. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Um, there's a spot in Jesus' teaching where he tells the disciples, whenever you come to a town to evangelize or witness, whoever invites you to stay at their house first, stay there until it's time to go. Don't go to the house of a richer man who invites you to stay with him because it's a nicer place. Stay wherever you're invited. So tanners, there were zoning laws in the ancient world that prevented tanners from living closer than 50 cubits from the edge of town because the process of making leather was disgusting. It involved urine and animal brains and feces and anything else. If you were ever employed as a tanner in your lifetime, meaning you spent one day collecting pots of urine for a tanner as a side job during your summer in college, one day, and then you got married, your wife could divorce you because you had been a tanner at one point. I'm not kidding. You, you could be compelled to divorce her. She could, not only could she say, I would like to divorce you, the law forced you to. Tanners were gross. They were, they smelled bad. They were disgusting. They were not allowed to come to the temple on regular holidays. They weren't told you couldn't. They were told, hey, you guys get the exception. On this holiday, when everybody else is coming to the temple, you don't have to. Just stay home. Because they did the work and they smelled like disgusting. If your neighbor decided to become a tanner, you could sue them and prevent them from becoming a tanner. And where's Peter staying? With the tanner. For many days, by the way, most scholars read this and assume this probably was for several years. Because he was becoming more and more like Jesus. And his kingdom wasn't in this world. They didn't see the wealth around him as the thing to aspire to. And in becoming more and more like Jesus, God put him sometimes in uncomfortable spots. And so it is with us, brothers and sisters. There will be days where being like Jesus is going to mean you are going to live in a place where there are vats of urine in the yard. That might be the neighbors, right? But it means loving them anyway. My long sermon, and I'm not sorry, 
what I want to boil all this down to, pun intended, relating to the tanning process. Um, is this is what our call is, guys. Our call is to go out and do amazing stuff. But sometimes that amazing stuff is going to be quiet and nearly invisible, and it's going to happen where no one can see it. And what you're going to do is heal someone's soul by sharing the gospel with them. You're going to offer someone a cold cup of water, and you're not going to realize it, but it is going to be the moment that changes their life. You're going to be someone who is just pleasant to the least pleasant person who expects everybody to be nasty to them. And because you are going to be that guy, they're going to find Christ. Because you don't know. You don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do. You don't know where the wind is going to blow. You don't know any of that. Peter imitated Christ, imitated Christ, now sits imitating Christ, waiting for the next thing. If you want to serve God, if you want to do things for the kingdom, if you want to be, if you want to be like Christ... It means imitating Christ. When it's hard, when it's dirty, when it's ugly, when it's unpleasant, and not the Jesus that the world sells us. Not the political Jesus. Not the, not the prosperity Jesus. Definitely not Joel Osteen's Jesus. Sorry. Not sorry. That's my challenge for you guys today. We're going to close in prayer. Um, if you feel stirred today and you're like man i need to be more like jesus guys the fields are ripe around us there are people dying in their sin there are people desperate for anybody to care about them desperate for meaning desperate for all kinds of stuff and all we need is workers if this stirred you if it poked you ask yourself the question what am I doing to be more like Christ? Not just in the way I act, in the way I learn, in the way I study, in the way I pray, in the way I love, and in the way I serve, you know, act. Like, how are you becoming more like Christ? How are you growing fruit? All right, let's pray and I'll be done. Heavenly Father, I, I, pray, I pray for your grace on the folks who are here. Um, I pray that, that um, I didn't... I pray that, that I didn't get in the way of your spirit. I pray that folks heard from you. I pray that folks know you more today because of this. And I pray that, that we would drive to be more like Christ every day. I pray that we would strive to imitate him, to say the words that he said, to love people the way that he loved them, and turn our hearts so they reflect you, so that when we pray, that the prayers of a righteous man who are powerful and effective because they're in harmony with your will and not our desires. Help us to see Jesus clearly, not as, not as the cosmic Santa Claus or the, the universal policeman who's out there to, to punish us or anything else. Like, like, help us to see Jesus as Jesus. Make us into your people. Mold us, shape us, break us if necessary, but make us like you. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.